1: Well, normally, as that music fades into the distance, I'd be looking across the studio and smiling at Howard Parkin and welcoming him to this month's edition of The Manx Sky at Night. Well, for all the reasons we understand, Howard can't be in the studio, but he is at the end of the phone at home in Onken. And Fastamai, good evening and welcome, Howard.
0: How uh, fast am I, Judith, and it's nice to be talking to you again.
1: Well, however we manage it, whether it's cocoa tins or string or whatever, we never let an absolutely addition... Absolutely <laughs> right. Now, we were hoping for absolutely perfect conditions so you could go in the garden and do a bit of live stargazing, but it's not quite like that, is it, Howard?
0: I'm afraid not. I just looked literally five minutes ago and there's not a star in sight. Um, last night we might have got away with it because we had a, a very bright moon as well, but... Um, I'm afraid there's nothing visible at all tonight. So I'm afraid it's all going to be from memory.
1: <laughs> well, you're very good at working from memory mm-hmm. and uh, really as as much as tonight it's telling us what we can look forward to during the month of February. So uh, whatever whatever hints you can give we we just then can grab the conditions when they come along, can't we?
0: That's what we do. You're absolutely right.
1: So, what are the the highlights for February, Howard?
0: Well, to be honest with you, February is going to be a very quiet month in the, in the sky because um, after all the excitement of December when we had the planetary conjunction and then we had Jupiter and Saturn both visible in the evening sky dropping down towards the sun uh, and went round the back of the sun actually only literally a few days ago, um, both of those have disappeared. Venus has practically disappeared in the morning sky and will reemerge in the evening sky in a couple of months' time. Um, poor, poor Mars is left on its own. Poor Mars is there on its own, very, very easy to spot. It's the only bright sky, bright bright star, uh, it's not a star, it's a planet, of course, in the sky towards the southwest and very unmistakable in what we call the stars of the autumn period. But, of course, even at this time of night, the stars of autumn are still visible in the western sky. Um, And you would notice if it was clear, and and we've had some wonderful nights, and I'll come back to that in a minute, but the winter sky is so much brighter for so many bright stars. I think there's about, I think if you add up in the top 50 stars, there are 24 of the top 50 visible in the winter from the Isle of Man. It's a statistic I was looking at the other day. It's amazing. But over in the western part of the sky, towards Peel or Ireland, depending where you are on the island, um, there'll just be this solitary bright object, which is Mars, which is actually fading fast. It's actually, um, we, uh, we went past Mars literally on our orbit in October last year, and of course, as a result of that, we've now overtaken Mars and leaving Mars well behind us, if you like it's it's in the slow lane of the M6 as we head on up to Haisham or wherever we're going, and it's rapidly receding behind us, but it's still bright enough to be very easily spotted. But, of course, one thing I do want to talk about is the fact that Mars is going to be so much in the news this month, and I know I'm going to talk about that in the second part of the program. But next week, as early as next week, we're going to have the first of three spacecraft arriving at Mars. So if you get chance in the next few days, go outside, have a look at Mars, and just think of all the engineering and all the planning and all the um, the work that's gone into getting these missions to Mars. And this time next week, there'll be a lot of anticipation. And on the 9th, I think, is the first day, followed by the Chinese the day after, followed by the Americans um, a few days after that. So Mars is the, is the only object of any particular note in the night sky. But what I'd like to do, Judith, if I may, is ask people instead of looking at the sky tonight go and look at the sky about six o'clock tomorrow morning or when it's clear obviously it's got to be clear because i went out the other morning into the uh, into the garden to put some rubbish in the bin i'll be honest with you that's all i was doing it was still dark and i looked up and you know this is the time of year uh well it, there's the summer sky which is what we see in the morning in the isle of man now i hardly recognized everything because it's so different. It's so very different. There is a a whole different perspective on the sky in the morning than there is in the evenings. It's the seasonal nature of the Earth turning on its axis as it goes around the sun and all the rest. It's easy to explain. But when I saw it, it took my breath away because there's a particular group of stars in the constellation of Coma Berenices, which is a very nondescript, faint little constellation that most people have never even heard of but it's got some wonderful mythology about it. And we'll probably do that in a few months' time when we get nearer the summer sky and then people can see these things in the sky. So um, that's the, um, something I would suggest people do. Have a look at the sky in the, um, in the early morning.
1: Right. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how, the, the, um, as you say, how, how very, very different it can look.
0: But, oh, very much.
1: But, but and this is what we always say. It's the changing picture that makes it so fascinating.
0: But, this is it. I mean, I think I've said this before and I don't mind saying it again. If you go outside any time, I mean, I mentioned, mentioned, I said a few minutes ago, I'd mention this again. We were so lucky at the beginning of January before lockdown, indeed, after the first few days of lockdown, the sky was breathtakingly clear for the first seven or eight days of January. We, it wasn't; it was cold, yes, but we had fantastic clear skies for the first. I think it was about 10 days of January. We did our train trip, the Starlight Express, on the train on the 6th of January. We went to Town on the train. And I'll be quite honest with you, I expected it would be cloudy and I had every intention of taking everyone back to the railway station where they would get a lecture on themselves about what was visible for the rest of 2021. Well, it was absolutely crystal clear. It was stunning. It was amazing. And then um, we were so lucky at the beginning of, of January, as I say, to get these wonderful clear skies. But then if you just go forward six months, I know it's the, the lights are, are lighter and we don't get the dark skies until much, much later. But the sky is just totally different. totally different. And that's the problem that gave the ancient astronomers all these... Uh, issues many, many hundreds of years ago, they couldn't work out why the sky changed so much. And they assumed that it was because the Earth was at the center of the universe they didn't realise the Earth was actually a star, uh, going around a star of the sun yeah. uh, on an annual 12-month basis. And then um, it took a long time to persuade them of that. And when you now look at the mechanics of it, and we can explain it uh, quite easily, not perhaps over the phone, but certainly in a classroom or in a book or a magazine or even online, um, it's quite easy to explain. But it took a long time for people to understand just why the sky changes so much. So go out for yourselves and look for it. And as I was just going to say... Go outside any time. You need two consecutive clear nights to do this, which, as I say, we got at the beginning of January. Go outside on a clear night and then look at a star. Look exactly what time it is and look at the particular star in the sky. Go out the following evening exactly four minutes early or earlier, and you'll find the same star in the same position. And that is the rotation of the Earth going round the Sun, not so much spinning on its axis, which, of course, it's done. But the Earth has moved on its orbit round the Sun by four minutes and more, and that's what makes the stars rise four minutes earlier. And that's what gives us this seasonal variation that we see so well. And astronomers like me talk at length about the winter, the summer, the winter, and the spring sky.
1: Howard, do you think that um, in the interest of preserving our planet and everything, people are being more sensitive about um, light pollution, not leaving um, building floodlights on buildings um, as much as they used to? I, I seem to, to notice that there's less of it. Once upon a time, you could drive around and there just seemed to be, you know, it's sort of 11 o'clock, night, midnight, whatever. And there would seem to be lots of um, buildings, very beautifully and artistically lit up, but... With, with no real need there seems to be less of that is that just me or do you think would you agree with that, that people... I would
0: agree with that it's something that is slowly becoming more and more an issue and uh, the dark skies of the Isle of Man is a subject we spoke about at length but around the world there are so many places now where they're looking at the night sky and they're realising it's an asset we've got it's the heritage of the, the place you're talking about as much as it is the heritage of the landscape or the culture and I often say the heritage of the heavens is actually a lecture I And I talk about the fact that we're looking at the sky now that was seen by the ancients thousands and thousands of years ago. Yes, there are some subtle changes, but not a huge change. And in our lifetime, the stars don't change their pattern at all. It's only when you get into thousands of years, you might see a slight discernible difference in the pattern of the stars. But that's way beyond the, um, the human life cycle. So, yes, and it is something that I'm I'm particularly passionate about. I mean, I've just read today, I get a newsletter from the International Dark Skies Authority, and they've just announced a further three dark skies places in America, in Utah, actually. And um, about 10 years ago, there was only about a dozen of these dark sky places in the world. Now, I'm delighted to say there's over 100. Well, it's, It's something that I'm quite passionate about, and obviously... I do. I'm actually doing a talk on Zoom, um, and you've got to pay for it, I'm afraid. It's on Wednesday, the 17th of uh, February. I'm doing a Zoom talk. I'll be putting details on my Facebook page shortly. And if anyone wants to hear about that, it's all about dark skies tourism and why the Isle of Man is such a great place to go stargazing. So a bit of a plug for myself there. So if anyone is interested... um, I'll be putting something on Facebook in the next day or two as to how you can access that.
1: So, what Facebook page should people s- search Out for? Dark. Is that your own your own personal yes, page? I've
0: got a few. Um, I've got my Astrobanks one, and there's also a Dark Skies one, and there's the Adamalas Nautical Society one. But I'll put this on my own um, Facebook page. I just put Howard Park in Isle of Man, mm-hmm. and then um, there's a link to it, and it's three pounds. That's all it is. And um, the organisation that runs this is called Ghost Space Watch, and they invited me to give this lecture on, the, uh, on Zoom of um, dark skies tourism um, and how the Isle of Man is such a great place to do dark skies astronomy. So I'm more than delighted to do it and bang the drum for the island and tell people how wonderful our skies are.
1: Because one day people will be able to come over, we will be able to develop the space tourism and, and, and all dark sky tourism
0: and all those wonderful Absolutely. things. Absolutely, it's, it's another form the, of niche tourism. But you well, know, we've been I've been saying this since the uh, the COVID crisis started last March. Astronomy is one of the best social distancing things you can do without <laughs> any problem whatsoever. Just go outside and enjoy it. Do
1: you know that's what we love about your enthusiasm, Howard? You can you can make a positive out of everything. You know, well,
0: really you've got to, haven't you? It's no good being a glass half empty person. Oh,
1: you've never, you have never—you would never be a glass half oh, empty. absolutely Never, not. never, never, never. Now, the way we've done this is we, we thought we'd take a punt, didn't we? And we thought well, there might be some live stargazing to be done. But you've also prepared some space reports for us. But just before we go to our music break, I just want to share with you a story that I spotted literally just while I was having a cup of tea before I came out of the house. Because, you know, I have developed a real nose for space stories. Stories. I'm always looking to see what's in the news to do. It's all your fault, you know. I take full
0: responsibility for it. Never, <laughs> no used to, never
1: used to bother before. And <laughs> I spotted this headline and uh, just wondered what you thought about this one. NASA, um? NASA is tracking two giant asteroids set to collide with the Earth's orbit next week. Mm -hmm. and they say that February is going to be welcomed in with a visit from two giant asteroids that will collide with the Earth's orbit at great speeds. Oh, wow. NASA's Centre for... Now, this is something you've mentioned before. Their Near-Earth Object Studies Centre is keeping its eye on that. Now, you've talked about that before, haven't you? I have Indeed and um but uh, but then again i mean putting it into perspective they've they've put um a very nice picture up on the page which looks as though a, a huge thing that's supposed to be the size of the um uh, i think they they're saying it's going to be bigger than the golden gate bridge in san francisco and it makes it look as though it's about 3 feet from the earth but which isn't um isn't really how it's going to be is it and it is the earth's orbit not the Earth's atmosphere. So or exactly. I mean, like these it. things.
0: It, it, it's a great story, and it makes people aware of the fact that an Earth, um, near Earth objects, which we have spoken of before, are a serious issue that we've got to consider. Because if I take you back to 2013, um, there was a, an asteroid that blew up over the city of Chelyabinsk in Russia. You may recall that there was all sorts of glass fragments and all sorts of problems. It didn't reach the Earth. It literally blew up in midair because it was so... You imagine a a lump of rock hitting the Earth's atmosphere um, at great speed. Mm. Um, The atmosphere is so thick when you consider something coming in fast from that distance and everything else. It just blows up. And that caused a huge amount of damage in Chelyabinsk. A little... Poignant reminders of people that that actual object um, hit a place called Chelyabinsk, as I mentioned. Mm. The latitude of Chelyabinsk is 55 degrees north. The Isle of Man is 54 degrees north. If the Earth had turned about two hours further on its axis, um, it would have been over the... the uh, not the, the Isle of Man, but it would have certainly been over the, the Irish Sea or that sort of area. But... Not wanting to be doom and gloom. I'm looking at the statistics of what you're telling me about, and these objects are certainly being tracked by NASA. Mm. We spoke about the Arecibo radio telescope, which is sadly no more. Mm. But I'm, I'm delighted to say there's possible resurrection of that, which we'll talk about another time. But that was one of the biggest... The telescopes for tracking near-Earth objects, but these two objects you're telling me about in particular, the way they track them is they, there's a list here, and it gives you a list, it gives it a number of what it is and what date it's going to impact the Earth's atmosphere or impact the Earth's orbit, to be precise, as you mentioned, and this particular one is on the 2nd of February, and it's going to be 0.59 of a lunar distance away. Now, the lunar distance is a quarter of a million miles, so half a million miles is 125,000 miles. That's roughly as close as it's going to get to us. Mm, Yes. Anything that's inside the distance of the Earth to the Moon is classed as hazardous, potentially hazardous. Um, But as I say, it's about 7.6 metres in diameter, between 7.6 and 17 metres in diameter, and it's travelling at a... 1.79 1.79 kilometers a second, which is quite slow for one of these objects, but these things, we actually think the asteroids and objects like the asteroids have brought all the water to the Earth, and impacts on the Earth of objects is actually one of the reasons that mankind and humankind exist on the Earth. Mm. So we shouldn't um, be too uh, upset about them, but we, we do need to be aware of them, and yes, even, I'm, I'm glad you asked me this question. We, could, we haven't rehearsed these. We haven't met, have we, to rehearse these?
1: <laughs> no, we haven't. It's only in the paper, I only in
0: the paper today. In July this year, in 2021, NASA are actually launching a spacecraft to an asteroid called Didymos. And Didymos has got a little moon going around it. And guess what they've called the moon? Moon. You've got Didymos <laughs> and Moon, And they're actually going to fire a projectile at this moon, and they're going to fire it at it and they're going to measure it very accurately uh, from earthbound telescopes and off from the spacecraft dispatches this particular uh, projectile. And they're going to see if the impact affects the orbit or the, the place where that little moon is in relation to the, the, the main asteroid, Didymos. If they do that, you can scale it up, and they can work out exactly what sort of force you need and where you need to apply it to deflect an asteroid from hitting the Earth. So it's it's the stuff of science fiction. I mean, you've all seen the film or heard the film Armageddon when Bruce Willis saves the world by Mm. blowing the thing up um, and stayed on board while it blew up. Well, that's science fiction, but science fact is they're actually working on this, and they're launching a spacecraft in, in July this year, which is actually going to test it. Yeah, well, it, it, too it's worried. don't be too worried. Don't n- um, hide under the table um, on the second of February because.
1: Well, actually, actually, Howard, having having built it up, with, and it, it's going at twenty thousand miles an hour and all the rest of it, having built it all up in the article, the payoff line at the very end it says, "Sadly for stargazers, the asteroid will not be able to be seen from the Earth, but will pass safely at around five fifty a.m. Or, or well, ten twenty a.m. Greenwich Mean Time." So you it know, having done the big build-up. Especially
0: they do, various newspapers in particular. They
1: do, do exactly as know you... we
0: that on Mike's Radio, would we?
1: <laughs> I think we need a music break. Howard, we'll go to your space report after this, but there is a special reason why we've chosen Fifth Dimension and Aquarius, because Indeed. the lovely Mrs Parkin had a birthday recently. She's Aquarius, star sign. Very happy birthday to Sandra. Howard, thanks for joining us on the line tonight.
0: Judith, look forward to seeing you next month.
1: The fifth dimension and uh, Aquarius, the age of Aquarius, chosen specially for Howard's wife Sandra, who celebrated her birthday last week. Many, many happy returns to you, Sandra. Now, we've talked to Howard live on the phone, but uh, in advance of this, because Howard knew that he wouldn't be able to come into the studio, he prepared some uh, space reports for us. And uh, so let's listen to the first part of Howard's look at recent developments in outer
2: space and near space as well. Well, at the moment, there's just so much going on in the world of space. It's very difficult for us to keep up. I'm amazed just exactly how much is going on. One thing that is very important is that next month, um, literally at the beginning of the month, we've got the United Arab Emirates Hope spacecraft will go into orbit around Mars on the 9th of February. This will be followed the day later by the Chinese Tianwen-1 mission which will go into orbit the day after and that will land a rover a few weeks or months later depending on the surface uh, conditions. And finally, on the 18th of February, uh, NASA's Perseverance rover will go straight in t- to a landing. Uh, it's also carrying on board its own helicopter. So that will be very exciting. So lots going on on the planet Mars at the moment. We've also got a great deal of things going on with uh, the manned spaceflight programs of various organizations, but particularly the commercial organizations. NASA test fired the rocket, of the new SLS rocket on the 16th of January and that was it was meant to be an eight-minute test but it only lasted for just over a minute and um, but that was enough they felt to get enough readings enough data from it and um, interesting enough that the engines on that rocket the four engines on it are all ex-space shuttle engines so a bit of recycling going on there by nasa in the world of private manned spaceflight, uh, things are moving ahead very very quickly indeed this is the thing that we can't keep up with the Blue Horizons space program run by Jeff Bezios, the founder of the Amazon organization. They had a flawless test flight of the New Shepard rocket in January and this rocket uh, launched a suborbital flight uh, just to test it, nobody on board this particular occasion, uh, but this capsule its the first time it's been unveiled to the public. It's got four massive windows and they reckon the interior of this spacecraft is 10 times as big as the original Mercury capsule that Alan Shepard flew in back in 1961. And they reckon for an 11 minute suborbital flight you can pay for one of those and they hope to start operations in the next year or so and it's a mere $200,000 so absolutely bargain if you've got the money also spacex were very much in the news they're currently testing their new sni starship prototype vehicle and by the time you hear that you may, they may well have successfully launched it it was due to be launched on friday at about six o'clock at night and we'll wait and see if that has been successful hopefully it would have landed this time without an rud you may recall an rud was something that judith and i spoke about uh, last month an iud is when a rocket literally disintegrates on the pad due to an explosion uh, or as uh, elon musk calls it an rud a rapid unscheduled disassembly spacex also in the news for launching 146 rockets in one launch last sunday and very exciting and this is one that i'd i would say missed but i was unaware it was moving ahead so quickly um, a partner of SpaceX called Axion announced last Monday on the 25th of January they would launch the first manned mission to the International Space Station, and one of their chief executives, a former NASA astronaut, and three others were going to fly to the International Space Station for eight days in January 2022, and the three of them are paying 55 million pound for the privilege of an eight-day journey up to the International Space Station. One of the next missions, and it was at one stage thought this might be in the first mission, but on one of the next missions, the actor Tom Cruise and a film producer are going to fly up to the International Space Station to film part of a film in space. Amazing project and very much um, on the drawing board. And indeed, they're starting to get some space hardware together as well. I understand that lots of the executives for Axiom are former NASA engineers and they're building these modules at the moment because Axiom have also agreed with NASA to build and add some more orbital modules to the International Space Station. And eventually when the space station is no longer uh, operating and because it's defunct or it's no longer uh, economically uh, usable and this space station, these modules will separate away from the International Space Station and become the first ever private flying space station. Not to be outdone, Virgin Orbit launched their first ever satellite using their Launcher-1 rocket. It was air-launched from a converted 747 aircraft on the 17th of January and there are serious plans afoot to start using this operation and launching satellites from a, a launch facility in Cornwall near Newquay by the end of 2022. And just to keep in on the act, Boeing, who, uh, if you may recall, some of you remember my other conversations, they were competing with SpaceX to be the first ones to fly up to the International Space Station with a manned vehicle. Uh, Boeing and SpaceX were neck and neck for many, many months and years. Uh, eventually, SpaceX won this one with their mission last summer. Uh, Boeing have still got one more final manned flight, uh, sorry, one unmanned flight to do with the Starliner spacecraft, which will take place in March. So, lots to talk about, lots going on, and I hope it's been of some interest to people. Uh, In the meantime, I'm delighted to say that um, I'm personally going ahead with lots of different talks that were postponed from January. And these will uh, announce the details of these will be announced shortly at various places and i'm also doing a, another day school at the uh, university college at the college campus here in Humphrey Road in douglas and um, that one was moved from early january to the 13th of february if anybody's interested indeed uh, please get in touch with the college and uh, i'd love to see you there and for those interested the isle of man astronomical society will be holding some more open evenings at the observatory and uh, hopefully the details of that will be released shortly we're just literally waiting for the lockdown details to be confirmed and then we'll hopefully sort it all out then
1: well you heard howard mentioning there the sn9 launch in fact it didn't take place it fell foul of the federation the Federal Aviation Authority Administration, and it's hoped that the launch will take place tomorrow. Now, finally, could ET be phoning
2: home at last? In the world of astronomy and the world of space exploration using robotic instruments and telescopes, there was a lot of excitement back in December, towards the end of December, When from Australia, the Parkes radio telescope, there was a signal received, a radio signal received from the Proxima Centauri b planet, which is an exoplanet being discovered around the nearest star system to our Earth. And this is just 4.2 light years away this was unexplained for a few weeks because they couldn't work out exactly what it was and there was serious talk that this might have been et phoning home Uh, but now we think that this was probably some form of interference but this is a brand new program being organized by the australians called the breakthrough program and this first signal was called breakthrough program uh, signal one and uh, they have realized that whilst it was probably some form of interference. And um, the whole idea of this new telescope program is to identify signals coming from an extraterrestrial origins. And it proved that the telescope is extremely sensitive and indeed can pick up very, very sensitive, very, very faint signals. And uh, as I say, although it's probably going to be of terrestrial origin, and um, it proved that the system works and they're very excited about it. And they're going ahead with this program now. And who knows what they may or may not discover? In the meantime, I would also just like to mention that I have prepared a list of details of what's visible in the Manx Night Sky for the year 2021. I know we're a month into that now, but if anybody's interested in getting a copy of that, I did the same thing last year. You can have a copy of that if you just send me an email, uh, either through Judith at the studio or, of course, to my home email address, which is HowardParkin at manx.net. So I hope that's all been of some interest. In the meantime, stay safe, keep well, and I look forward to hearing from you and speaking to you all next month. Bye-bye for now.
1: Bye-bye, Howard. Thank you very much indeed for this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night, which will be available in a few hours' time as a podcast at manxradio.com. And hopefully, Howard will be live in person in the studio for the February edition of Manx Sky at Night, which will be on the final Sunday of the month of February. Mm
0: Station Manx Ray